Hi there, I'm Dan, and welcome or welcome back, maybe, to the Shaw Vineyard Church podcast. Hey, at the end of this episode, please take just a moment to subscribe in iTunes or in your podcast app of choice. That way, you can get every message from our church straight away on whatever device best suits you. You know, it's our hope that the message that you're about to hear in this episode would encourage you to take your best next step in your faith journey. So let's get straight into it. We look for the thing in life that will bring us joy now. The new car, the latest technology, or the board game that's just been released. What is our priority in life? And I could quote Dan Goodwin from earlier this year, what do you really want? We've been talking a lot lately in our Connect group about distractions and things that can pull you away from having God as your main point of focus. And temptation is something we are all struggling with on a daily basis. But I like to think of it like this. Imagine you have a four to five-year-old child. It may be your child, or it may be someone else's child. And they've asked you to play with them. You could give them a device, and they'd be just as happy and entertained. But how much more worthwhile would it be to take them on an adventure, do some baking, or learn to ride a bike? This would require a lot more effort on our behalf. It may not appeal to the child as much at first. You may even be faced with tears or frustration during the process. But at the end of the day, or 15 years later when they're reminiscing on the memories... What do they really want out of their childhood? Do they want to be happy at a surface level and entertained? Or do they want to have faced challenges to groan and have good heartfelt belly laughs? Often we get so caught up in the busyness of life that we truly forget the joy of building relationships, of sharing experience, and most of all, our important relationship with God. So maybe it's time to adjust the priorities in your life. It's not only reprioritizing your wants. Eternal joy is also about readjusting your attitude, choosing the way you think, feel, and respond to a situation, especially when it seems toughest to do so. An example of this that really jumps out at me is the story of Paul and Silas in prison, found in Acts 16. After causing some disruption in a marketplace, Um, these two men were stripped, flogged, and thrown into prison. When locked in the inner cell of the prison with shackles on their feet, Paul and Silas choose joy. They pray, they sing hymns, and the praise and the worship is witnessed by other other prisoners. And if you're familiar with the story, you'll know that at about midnight there's an earthquake. The jail doors are opened, and Paul and Silas spend some quality time with the guard rather than escaping. His whole family come to know the Lord because of this. Verse 34, the jailer brought them into his house and set a meal before them. He was filled with joy because he had come to believe in God. Joy isn't about being happy or content or feeling really safe from harm. And I'm sure neither Paul or Silas thought, oh, hey, let's go get caught and go to prison because that'll be fun. Joy is about facing those hardships and still acknowledging God has your back, taking delight 
in the promises that he has already revealed to you and storing up eternal treasures. Joy in its verb form is rejoice. And I say this bearing in mind that it's only the fifth month of my journey with joy. And while God doesn't necessarily stick to schedules, if the last few years are anything to go by, I have another seven months of learning joy. So tonight I'd like to challenge you to think of the situation you are currently in, or perhaps a situation will reveal itself to you this week. And in that moment, I'd like you to pause and really consider your own attitude and your own motivations, to think to yourself, is there another way to go about this? One that is God-honoring and joy-bringing. Thank you. All right. Let's not waste any time, eh? Let's just go straight into the next one. Jared. Jared, this is Jared. Jared is the husband of Stephanie. He's a teacher at Kingsway School. He is a soon-to-be father for the very first time. Uh, He's been Christian more than half of his life. He was baptized at the age of nine years old, and he's going to be taking us deep into the Apostles' Creed. So Jared, let's let's give it up. Warm round of applause. Thank you, Jared. Um, So hey everybody, Um, as Calvin mentioned, a little bit about who I am is that I've had a very varied uh, Christian upbringing. Um, When I was eight years old and nine, I was part of a charismatic church, um, Elam down in Hawke's Bay. Then we, as a family fellowship with the Open Brethren, uh, now Riverbend Bible Church for about five years down in uh, Hawke's Bay also. I then transitioned to uh, the Dutch Reformed Churches, where I was a member of them for about nine years. I became a professing member as well. Basically, they're maybe their equivalent of what baptism is as a rite of passage for some churches. Um, and then I went to Laidlaw, and kind of God turned all my ideas of theology and doctrine upside down. <laughs> um, uh, I went through a, a season of kind of probably calling myself non-denominational or maybe a follower of Christ because uh, that's where it was very fashionable to do so. And <laughs> um, now I find myself in Vineyard. And it's particularly these last, this last point and perhaps these last two points that have shown me how Christ's church is both visible and invisible, that our Lord Jesus' disciples are everywhere and that we can fellowship with people from every Christian tradition when they love the same Lord we do. Walk with Jesus, I'm being brought back to the fundamentals of faith, especially, uh, you know, uh, experiencing some success and joy in my job, as uh, Bronte rightly said. Um, experiencing, you know, some trepidation and fear, but also excitement about the next season of uh, being a father and continuing to learn how to be a better husband to my wife. Um, I find myself in this stage of my walk with Jesus, bring brought, brought back to the fundamentals of faith, um, discipline around prayer, worship of our King, fellowship with Christian brothers and sisters. So I'm reminded and want to share with you today or tonight the Apostles' Creed. Uh, doctrinally, this short creed is over 1,600 years old and was composed by the church fathers, our ancient Christian forebears, to represent the non-negotiables of faith and distinguish proper doctrine against error and heresy. Uh, To quote that infallible golden source, Wikipedia, um, 
for both liturgical and uh, teaching purposes, uh, most used by the churches of Western tradition, including the Catholic Church, Lutheran, Anglican, Presbyterians, Moravians, Methodists, and Congregationalists. Um, but personally to me, when I was part of the Dutch Reformed churches, we would recite this creed at least every month um, as part of tradition. And as I get into the season of life, fundamentals of faith prove all the more important to me in walking out faith, why these facts are so important. Hopefully this works just fine. Yeah, it's a bit hard to read from there, but I'll just give you a second to maybe look at that for yourself. Read that for yourself. So as it follows, um, I believe in God the Father Almighty, maker of heaven and earth, and in Jesus Christ, his only begotten Son, our Lord, who was conceived by the Holy Spirit, born of the Virgin Mary, suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, dead, and buried. He descended into hell. The third day he rose again from the dead. He ascended into heaven and sits at the right hand of God the Father Almighty. From there he shall come to judge the living and the dead. I believe in the Holy Spirit. I believe in a holy Catholic church, the communion of saints, the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body, and the life everlasting. So why is this creed important? Um, you might notice I've actually put a few scriptural references, not exhaustive, but it shows where some of these ideas are actually represented or referred to in scripture. There's plenty of richness here that would take a, a series of sermons to cover at length. Um, but it's these statements that actually enable us to discern who we are and distinguish what we believe as Christians and contrast other beliefs. Further, it helps us to discern who our brothers and sisters are in Christ. Um, Laidlaw taught me about the usefulness of discerning uh, what is dogma, what is doctrine, and what are points of difference. Um, so dogma being, what are the non-negotiables about what it is to be a Christian, what it is to actually believe in Jesus? Doctrine is about, like, you know, we differ, say, on end times theology, what's going to happen when Christ returns, or we differ on how to baptize or when to baptize. But you can still call someone a brother or sister if they have a different belief to you on this. And then points of difference about, like, you know, whether we wear head coverings like some churches do, or um, whether we... Um, practice the Lord's Supper in a particular way. Um, but the point is, we can differ on the latter two, and the first prior enables us to know who we are and who others are in respects to Christ our Saviour. But this creed also shows us that our faith is grounded in historical truth, events that actually happened, as instances of God's self-revelation, him revealing himself in this world. They are confirmed by this creed. Our faith isn't just based on whimsy or mysticism. It's based on historical truth. These things actually happened. You had 500 witnesses who saw Christ after he died and ascended and resurrected and ascended who were willing to actually be martyred for this very fact, these very facts contained within this very creed. But particularly, there's one phrase that I've been considering most recently um, that I wanted to share just two or th one or two things tonight on. And it's this phrase, uh, he descended into hell very contentious phrase. Um, some people have argued that it should be omitted from the creed altogether because it's not represented in scripture. Um, others believe that because of the necessary to the passion of Christ, 
Christ had to assume the full responsibility of sin in our place, and that meant enduring the entirety of hell, enduring in some capacity uh, what it meant to actually endure hell. Others would understand hell as the Greek word meaning Hades, which means the place of death where our souls go, separation from God uh, as punishment. So still, Christ actually endured what hell was by actually enduring the punishment, which was separation from God. Um, And still others even believe that this phrase, he descended into hell, means that Christ actually physically or spiritually went down into the place of the dead and actually preached the gospel to Old Testament believers. (laughs) A very strange idea, which some might think. Uh, We could always talk about the theological reasoning behind that afterwards. Um, But also some others also believe that it's uh, Christ went there to preach victory or to declare victory over Satan. And aspects of all these ideas have some scriptural backing. But a belief I have come to is that Jesus endured the essence of hell. And I share this because, one, I believe this gives a better understanding of what our Christian ancestors meant. Happy to discuss this later. Uh, And after the most recent Easter season, too, I think what I can share here will be affirming and life-giving to you today. If hell fundamentally, in essence, is about separation from God, that is final, Jesus took that punishment when he became sin for us and uttered those words, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? In the hope that he would never, never forsake any of us in turning to him. If separation is the final fitting punishment for sin, from a just and yet loving God, this resonates and reconciles with those two fronts, justice and love. Firstly, for any person, firstly, it is that any person can come into the presence of God knowing Christ became sin for them and that in his perfection, they are clothed in his innocence. You are righteous in him before God. But two, it also resonates with God's justice as well. All crimes and atrocities done in this world are justly settled in Christ and him alone. All things wicked and evil done in this world, and some of us are victims here. I I have no doubt of some of the awful things that happen in this world because of the effect and impact of sin. Christ's sacrifice was the fitting punishment for all of it. It is only this atonement that can take the weight of humanity's sins. You know justice has been done, and you can feel justified when terrible things happen to you because Christ died for it. So when we cry out, you know, well, that's not fair, that's not right, that's wrong, we can actually have great comfort in the fact that but Christ died for that. He settled the accounts for that. So I encourage you, in these truths, in this one phrase and in the entirety... Um, in this milk of uh, Christian teaching or Christian belief, there is also meat. These foundations of our faith help nourish and sustain us as we consider who is our God and what do we place our faith in, the fact of these events and the relevance and significance of a God who died for us. 
And so if you're maybe in a dry patch or you're feeling like, you know, uh, looking for God, wondering where he is next, uh, I would encourage you, maybe take the time to look at this creed for yourself and think, what is the significance and the relevance of these statements to me? Um, Where do I sit in regards to what I believe about Jesus and who he is? And how could this refresh me in you? Uh, And that's all. Thanks, everybody. Cool, way to get the head spinning, right on. And with that, we're just coming in to come and share. Victoria, yeah, there you go. Victoria is a psychotherapist. She didn't give me a bio, but I know that she would rather be a makeup artist. <laughs> um, but she's a very talented psychotherapist. Um, she's also a, a mother to Constance and Estelle. How do I know? People keep going back to you, right? Yeah. There you go. Yeah. Um, uh, uh, Cameron, who's around somewhere. There you go, bro. That's, uh, that's her husband. And yeah, and she's going to take us into this final part of tonight. Cool. Thank you, Calvin. Yeah, so I actually made the mistake before coming here tonight of watching the three people that spoke this morning. <laughs> they were awesome. Um, and, you know, they started off with talking about, yeah, they're like, oh, you know, going to be talking about what I'm passionate about. And I was like, oh my gosh, is that the brief that I totally missed? Because like Calvin said, if I was to talk about what I'm passionate about, uh, it would be makeup and clothes. So um, I was like, oh, okay, I thought I may as well keep it, um, you know, maybe to what's more relevant to everyone here and talk about Jesus. So I can do that. Um, (laughs) But yeah, also like what he said, I am a psychotherapist. And for those who know me, and have been around me when I've met people for the first time. And when that person has said to me, oh, and so what do you do? I'm like, oh, I'm, I'm a psychotherapist. I get two responses. First one being, ah. Oh. And then they promptly talk to my husband about whatever building renovations they've got going on because, you know, free advice there. And the other thing they do is they say, oh my gosh, that's amazing. Can you read my mind? Uh, no, no, I can barely figure out what's going on on my own, let alone yours. Um, but yeah, I'm like, if you, if you want to pay me, I can give it a go. <laughs> but so I sort of thought what would be important is to actually say what it is that I do briefly, because psychotherapist kind of comes under the same umbrella as a psychologist or a counsellor. Um, and you know, generally we sort of do the same thing. We work with mental health and that is a massive umbrella. And there's also quite a few differences. How I am a psychotherapist is very different to how most people are psychotherapists, so let's put it that way. Um, so the emphasis on the work that I do is around the unconscious. So what Carl Jung talks about is the shadow side. So it's the stuff about ourselves that we don't want to know that is a little bit terrifying to know and that we kind of keep hidden because, yeah, it's, it's, it's our vulnerable selves, it's our, the thoughts and feelings that we're not supposed to have and it's terrifying. So the only problem is, is that if they stay hidden, it can kind of sneak out in like other little ways and interrupt how you relate to each other and ultimately how we relate to God which is where spiritual direction comes in. Hey, hey guys. Yeah, so <laughs> um, 
The interesting thing about training as a psychotherapist is that you have to undergo your own therapy. And when I first started this degree, I was like, I'm fine. My mother's a psychologist. Like, I don't, I don't need this. But okay, if I have to, then I'll go. Uh, that was eight years ago, and I am still in and out of therapy. <laughs> so it's a long, expensive process. And it sort of has all culminated to, well, different moments in my life where it's, there's been massive things that I've kind of got and I sort of like the next layer of, of whatever is in me that I haven't wanted to admit or acknowledge. And then life sort of ticks along and yeah. But a few weeks ago, I had a moment where I was like, oh, okay, I think after eight years of uh, talking about myself, I think I finally got something. So I was at a wedding of a friend where I only knew the bride, really, and one other person and my husband. And I was like, oh, here we go. <laughs> like, I mean, I've been coming to this church off and on for about five years, like regularly in the last year. And let me just assume that uh, most of you don't know me and I don't know you. And that's, yeah, that's kind of what I'm about to talk about. So I was like, oh, yeah, I like getting dressed up. And then I can go to the ceremony and I could quite happily go home after that. Um, but instead, there's a couple of hours where, of course, they go off and take like two hours with the photographs and you have to socialise with everyone. And then you go to the reception and you have to socialise again. And it's cool if you know lots of people and you're really social, um, like my husband. But I'm kind of a, yeah, I'm good. I'm good. I could just go home and it's a lot of hard work for me. So when I was there, though, I actually had this amazing thing happen where I, I made a friend. <laughs> I made a friend. And um, it was really exciting. <laughs> and yeah, I mean, look, I've got amazing friends. I see you. And they are like family to me, basically. So the first thing is I am able to make friends and I'm also able to sustain them for like a good 20 years. So that's a good sign. But this was different. This was me meeting someone for the first time and realising that actually um, something different happened. And, oh, hang on, I've got to get the clicker. Well, what button do I press? You said just click. <laughs> so, here we go. Oh, good slide, Calvin, thanks. So, in Matthew 22, verses 37 to 39, Jesus said something really important that we're kind of supposed to live our life by. Two, two important things, actually. The first one being that you must love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, and all your mind. This is the first and greatest commandment. And I'm kind of like, okay, cool, I got that one. Like when I was 16, I became a Christian, whatever that means. And um, yeah, it was good. It's good. And then the second one is equally important. Love your neighbour as yourself. And you know, like, I'm a psychotherapist, like I'm good, I love my neighbour. Um, yeah, it's good. The clause there though is that it's as yourself. And I've sort of just avoided that little bit there. And what I learnt when I made this friend is that in order to make a friend, I actually needed to love myself first. And ugh, that turns out that's actually really hard. And I think from what I've experienced in my work 
and just being a human being is that what it means to actually love yourself is actually really difficult for a lot of us. And it's cheesy and it's awkward and I feel really awkward talking about it. But what it actually means is something totally different to what I've always kind of thought. And, you know, self-care is a big buzzword in counselling, social work, any kind of human interaction jobs. And I was like, oh, I'm good at self-care. I, you know, like I go do my nails and, um, yeah, I watch Brooklyn Nine-Nine and I, I got that. And is that loving yourself? Like, yeah, I'm looking after myself. But, and, oh, can you click again? Smooth. So <laughs> what I then have realised is that all these 20 years of being a Christian, when I read the scripture, or I, not that I read it a lot, so let's be real, but like I hear, I hear it around. Like it's what we sort of talk about and say and it's in church, is that we love each other because he or she loved us first. Loved us first. Ah, uh, what? So you mean that... <laughs> all of the layer upon layer upon layer of stuff that I have gathered in my 37 years of being on this earth from family, friends, society or social media, all the expectations from all those areas, uh, church, <laughs> all the expectations from church, all those layers that I've put over myself to protect myself that I think that people want from me, Actually, God loved me before all of that. So I don't, I don't actually need any of it. And so the last eight years have been about shedding that and about starting to chip away at that. And man, it's a hard process because who I thought I was was just the story I was telling myself. And who I actually am is, um, yeah, is someone that has thoughts that aren't like what I'm supposed to be thinking, emotions that are up and down and intense and then nothing and, oh, okay, I actually feel completely different about something that I was thinking that I felt the other day. And when I met this person the other day, that was who she saw, was actually who I am coming back to because it's not about changing it's about returning to that person that God loved first, before all of it. And so suddenly in being able to do this, I finally, and I mean, I don't know, this doesn't sound like it should be a big thing, but it is a huge thing for me. I, um, I was myself with that person. And suddenly we connected, and that's not usual for me, but we got on, and we talked the night away, and it was amazing. And um, the next few days I spent worrying about whether I should friend request her, if that would be too keen or something. But, um, you know, we then had a, a, a date, and it was really cool too. So, yeah, <laughs> what this all means is that because God loved us first and told us to love ourselves as as love our neighbour as ourselves, that actually I can just be me. And that's a bit shy and awkward some, a lot of the time, sometimes. Um, yeah, and it was, it was actually, it's been the last few weeks been pretty awesome with that. So, yeah, I'm just going to awkwardly hand the mic over to Calvin. <laughs> Thank you. Oh.
Wonderful. Well, hey guys, can we just give one more hand for all three of them? Because I think they did a great job. Bronte, uh, Jared, Victoria, thank you guys so much. Hey, once again, thanks for listening. And if you're in the Forest Hill or the Bays area of Auckland's North Shore, we would so love to have you at our next service this Sunday. You can get details on service times and more info on our kids and student environments by visiting svc.org.nz. That's svc.org.nz. Hope you have a great day and we'll see you next time here on the podcast.